0: Hello, and welcome to the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma, TraumaCast series. I'm your host, Dr. Babak Sarani, Associate Professor of Surgery at the George Washington University. Joining us today is Dr. Howard Champion, Professor of Surgery and Senior Advisor in Trauma at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. Amongst his numerous accomplishments in and contributions to the field of trauma, Trauma surgery, Dr. Champion is a recognized expert in scoring systems. He authored an article in 2002, which still serves as an excellent review on this topic, and more recently led the effort to describe a novel scoring system for battlefield injuries. The review article to which I alluded is titled Trauma Scoring and appeared in the Scandinavian Journal of Surgery, Volume 91, in 2002, pages 12 through 22. Scoring systems can seem overwhelming to those beginning their study of trauma surgery, and I would like to thank Dr. Champion for taking the time to discuss this topic. Welcome. Let's um, start by asking you to discuss the overall purpose of scoring systems. Are these systems meant to be used uh, by the bedside practitioner in dealing with a particular patient?
1: Uh, No, they are not uh, meant for individual patient um, patients. patient-directed therapies. Uh, scoring systems generally are uh, uh, based on <coughs> probabilistic uh, mathematics or statistics uh, as, a, as opposed to deterministic ones. So you can't really take the data from an individual patient and drive that patient uh, patient's care, therapy, um, or uh, uh Uh, anything more than a vague risk assessment. And there are many uses for um, (coughs) scoring systems and it's very important uh, when you're developing a scoring system to know the application because there are different uh, statistical and scientific criteria uh, depending upon the uh, use that you're going to apply the scoring system to.
0: And so on that note, (coughs) your uh, paper comments that scoring systems can be broken into essentially three categories uh, nominal, ordinal, and interval. Some examples of each?
1: Well, a nominal system is just an agreed-upon naming system, um, and there are many of those out there. It's just a convention that allows people to talk knowledgeably about the same thing when they're talking about, for instance, fractures. And the, some of the best nominal systems are the, uh, the various classifications of fractures. Uh, it's, it's just an agreed-upon terminology. Uh, the uh, ordinal systems are <laughs> scalar to some degree, uh, so that you start off with a low score, perhaps that is a low severity injury, and a high score that is a higher severity injury. But there's no scientific basis for many of the uh, uh, ordinal systems, it's, and the, and the degree of separation between a one and a two, and a two and a three, and a three and a four, is not necessarily the same. Um, The interval systems put more uh, structure and science to it so that there's some agreement between the intervals of the numbers um, and and they represent increasing uh, severity and generally speaking they are verified or validated against uh, data. All of them have... Uh, particular applications. And I think the important thing, even with uh, uh, nominal systems, is that it allows people to communicate uh, in a uniform fashion as opposed to uh, having uh, uh, non-agreement on operational definitions of what a specific injury is. And so just as an example, where would you fit in the AIS score?
0: Would it be more of a uh, ordinal system or of an interval system?
1: No, it's certainly not an <laughs> interval system, and that's one of the big problems with it. Um, the uh, it, it is an ordinal system. Um, Uh, The AIS uh, is a very interesting scoring system. I've been involved with it since the early 70s. Um, And uh, it is a committee-driven system, which is somewhat akin to creating sausages or or bills in Congress. Uh, One has to witness the process. Uh, It has grown from 78 codes in the early 70s with a specific uh, purpose to over 2,000 now. That's impressive. Okay. Um, Just continuing on in regards to how
0: various systems are even created before we get too much into the meat of the matter for any particular system, you also commented that scoring systems can be broken into anatomic and physiologic, I guess somewhat analogous to triage criteria. Um, What are the ups and downs, pros and cons of this type of system?
1: Well, you know, uh, we're talking about injury. And injury, uh, when you look at the full spectrum, is a fairly complicated um, uh, medical diagnostic uh, milieu or arena. Uh, Anatomic scoring systems are important because they are the actual anatomy of the injury. But that's a static issue. The forces applied to the body in a certain manner and the injury is created, and, and generally speaking, the um, healthcare system should not uh, increase the injury. Uh, we uh, thought it was important, and many people agree with us, that the physiological component, which is the dynamic uh, sequelae of the anatomic insult, need to be added to this because that brings in a dimension of time um, and uh, the physiological consequences. And people die of injury essentially because of three physiological sequelae, the, uh, the uh, impact on the central nervous system, uh, respiratory distress, or, or bleeding to death. And so these very simple physiological sequelae need to be factored in if you're going to talk about injury severity in a meaningful fashion. So one of the biggest challenges <clears throat> facing
0: trauma centers that we try to use scoring systems to uh, to address is the concept of field triage, and we all know that over triage uh, of a potentially injured patient can dramatically tax uh, trauma center resources, and under triage can have <clears throat> severe ramifications for the particular patient. Um, le- are there good scoring systems that can be used for field triage?
1: Well, there there, there are and there aren't. Let, <coughs> let's let's sort of define the problem. Um, uh, f- identification of the nature and severity of injuries in the field is not a trivial problem. It is very difficult in the dark, uh, in a car accident, with all sorts of other environmental uh, problems in play to really identify life-threatening injuries, particularly those that are really life-threatening, which are are torso injuries and and head injuries. Mm -hmm. So, Uh, there have been numerous attempts to uh, uh, develop scoring systems for triage. Triage really is a fairly simple, conceptually simple, application for scoring uh, insofar as you're really just looking to bin patients into sick, not sick, or or define a threshold. So the scientific demands of a scoring system for triage (coughs) are much less than those uh, required for uh, performance evaluation or batch, analysis, batch comparison of uh, of large bins of data. We've just got to assess whether it is good at binning patients. And <clears throat> when you identify the problem, um, uh, uh, it, it's it's just that it's not easy to a- apply in the field. I developed the triage guidelines for the American College of Surgeons in the early 80s uh, and uh, tried to take a realistic approach to the problem of field triage. Uh, we looked um, at initially at the physiology of the patient, if the physiology is normal, then, uh, then you go on to the next step. But abnormal physiology, which occurs in a very, very small fraction of in, uh, injured individuals in the field, is a good sentinel indicator of severity. And so, uh, look at the blood pressure, uh, the uh, the um, Glasgow Coma Scale, which can easily be simplified into the um, uh, best motor response and respiratory rate. That's looking at those three. Uh, um, measures uh, related to the causes of death. Uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Now, the Glasgow Coma Scale was invented in a pub in Glasgow, and Graham Teasdale, who invented it, was quite annoyed when I adapted it for, or, or used it in pre-hospital care uh, in this country. Uh, he, um, he had created it to measure the status of patients 24 hours uh, after injury because that is when they receive most of the patients at the hospital mm-hmm. that is the Neurosurgical Center in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Uh, really it's got redundant components and the best motor response is quite adequate uh, for measuring um, coma uh, and it's much better than AVPOO Or and we used it to replace essentially uh, terms like semi-comatose which everybody would have their own interpretation of and thus when you're conveying information it was... Uh, it was uh, subject to uh, wide uh, variations. Um, Blood pressure is just the simple measure of uh, of, uh, uh, whether somebody's in shock, and a lot of research has been done on that, so it's a good physiological uh, measure. Uh, But in young people, uh, they don't decompensate until fairly late uh, in the process of bleeding. When you think about it, you've got 5,000 cc's of blood in a 70 kilogram person. Uh, You're dead with about 1,500 to 2,000 in. You go into shock when you've lost about 1,500, so you've got a window of opportunity somewhere between 1,500 and another uh, 1,500 cc's of blood loss between uh, being uh, really sick and and dead. So you've just got to put a minute bleeding. Rate on that, and you can figure out that uh, big holes in blood vessels can cause death pretty easily. And that's and, and hemorrhage causes about five or six uh, million deaths a year worldwide. And it is probably the single most uh, preventable cause of death uh, on the uh, on the planet uh, in terms of um, in terms of injury. So we look at the physiology. If that's normal, then look at the gross anatomy of injury uh, to identify uh, uh, roughly whether there's in, any severe injuries. It's easy to identify broken bones because they hurt. But the most life-threatening injuries don't hurt. You know, you don't get much pain from a fractured liver, and blood in the peritoneal cavity doesn't cause much of a reaction. So uh, I. Identifying the anatomy of injury helps in uh, uh, in evaluating risk. We did some studies uh, in the 70s and 80s which showed that if you have two proximal long bone fractures, you're likely to have torsal injury, more likely to have torsal injury, and so that's why that was a triage criteria. Mm-hmm. The third, and this is where triage uh, criteria get really sloppy, is, uh, is the uh, mechanism of injury. Again, this was data-based uh, relating the anatomical rearrangement of vehicles to the anatomical rearrangement of uh, the persons in them Mm. and that is a little bit of a guideline but this is where you get into major over triage um, and uh, it causes uh, problems and then finally there are other factors such as age where the compensatory factors are not good and certain uh, pre-existing conditions which can make the ability to withstand the insults of injury um, less tolerable (coughs) for individuals so that was that was the concept and people have been tweaking it ever since and uh, it's improved upon, but uh but conceptually it still is a challenge. Now, it's easier with penetrating injury because you've got a hole uh, and uh, you don't need to know a, a much anatomy to figure out that there is a risk of injury if you've got a hole in front of the heart uh, and most people know roughly where that is. So uh, penetrating injury is a lot simpler than, uh, than blunt injury when it comes to um, uh, identifying triage criteria. But it's a, you know, it's, it, it, again, triage is just bin. Is it sick patient or likely to be sick or not? And the vast majority of people following injury um, are not severely injured. We have 5 million-plus car accidents in the United States each year, and uh, 30-odd thousand deaths. And the number of severe injuries is about 200,000. So uh, if you do some simple mathematics, you find that your triage challenge is is really identifying very, very small fractions on a big denominator. And that's why people get them wrong.
0: And to that end, actually yesterday uh, the CDC released its updated field triage criteria. So yesterday being um, January 12, 2012. Uh, and, and they address many of these same points you've raised, and it's interesting that how little things have truly changed uh, on, the, on the bigger picture uh, in regards to field triage. <clears throat> um, so with that in mind, then, let's talk about the use of scoring systems now more, I guess, on the back end. We can talk about the injury severity score, uh, which is probably the most commonly used score, maybe the one that people are most familiar with. Um, although it's very widely used, it has many, many known shortcomings, not the least of which is in relation to penetrating trauma or even a blunt multi-system trauma. So someone who's got a um, splenic injury and intestinal injury, let's say same body cavity, really only gets points for one or the other, not necessarily both. Um, there was a new ISS score that was, that was attempted to be rolled out. I'm not sure if it was ever widely adopted. So can you tell us a little bit about the ISS score and why NISS never really took off?
1: Sure. Uh, But before we go into that, it's it's important to sort of understand that we've got three levels of uh, discussion when it comes (coughs) to scoring systems. We've got the taxonomy or the agreed upon operational definitions, um, such as AISICD. Then we have got the models that we use to combine or manipulate the Uh, the scoring systems in a certain fashion. And this is where ISS comes in and that was the first model that tried to address the multiple injury issue and it was developed uh, in Baltimore in um, the early 70s by Sue Baker and uh, Bill Long uh, when I was first at the shock trauma unit there and it's got huge issues many of which you've just uh, identified it's uh, the sum of the squares square root of the sum of the squares of the of three different bodily uh, injuries in different cavities so we've got a problem first of all that the cavi- cavities are uh, uh arbitrarily defined you know um, uh we have the fact that a uh, an iss uh, score uh, that uh, com- well the, the problem really starts with the fact that AIS is a fundamentally uh, poorly designed taxonomy because a four in the chest is not the same as the four in the abdomen or uh, a four uh, four in the head, mm-hmm. and so when you square these things, if you've got uh, you've got uh, head injuries coming out similar to fairly moderate abdominal injuries, and so it's not very good for actually controlling for case mix because it cr- it creates and introduces all sorts of complications which didn't exist before you started squaring them and adding them. Mm-hmm. You've also identified the fact that it's not very good for penetrating injury because penetrating injury, particularly ballistic, tends to be in one body cavity, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. And then if you've got a severe, two severe injuries there and nothing elsewhere, you're underscoring. And we found that um, uh, AIS is particularly deficient uh, for Uh, combat injury insofar as it doesn't even describe uh, many of the injuries. Uh, And that introduces another factor, which is inter-rater reliability before you start manipulating it in various models. So we've published a lot on ISS. It's out there. It's widely used. Um, People don't understand a lot of its faults, but it's sort of held up as a pseudoscience uh, by people who want to sort of say, yes, we have control for case mix. In actual fact, uh, depending on the data set, they have uh, usually uh, done very little to achieve that particular goal using ISS.
0: So there was an attempt to to address many of these concerns with a new ISS score, but again, that never really uh, became widely adopted for actual use.
1: Yeah, I think new, uh, NIS, the new ISS score, was actually a a, a leap forward, and it uh, addressed the issue of uh, of arbitrary definitions of body cavity to the degree that you could have the most severe injuries in multiple body cavities. But as you say, it just didn't uh, it didn't take off. Uh, I think. Uh, I, don't, I don't quite know why because it was a, a sensible solution to some of the problems but not all of the problems. And perhaps because it's solved some but not all is why it didn't really get traction.
0: And so there's another score that then builds on the ISS, the TRIS score, which is really a summation of two different scores. And the intent of the score was to uh, try to predict uh, probability of death, essentially d- determine uh, observed to expected odds of death. Um, Can
1: we talk Mm about that? Yeah, Tris has got an interesting history, actually. We had a meeting in Woodstock, um, uh, north of Chicago. Um, I think it must be in Wisconsin, in the late 70s, to bring um, some degree of conformity to the use of scoring systems. Uh, And we had uh, developed the trauma score, which was a way of which was a model for aggregating the simple physiological variables. Um, And we'd also developed uh, an anatomical scale which used ICD and put a conditional probability of survival on the ICD codes, this was ICD-8 at the time, Uh, and then a definitive probability of survival based on the combination of injuries. Essentially, what happened at that meeting is that we traded off our anatomic score for (laughs) AIS-ISS so that we would have a a sort of democratic union of all of those people involved in trying to develop scoring systems. So that was the basis for TRIS. And then we added age. Uh, So TRIS, as published in the World Journal of Surgical, which is its um, source article, was the AIS-ISS system to describe anatomic injury, the trauma score, uh, which was the subject of a master's thesis uh, of, uh, of a nurse called Sue Hannon, mm-hmm. and um, age. And we had found in our analyses that over the age of 55, people got uh, s- people responded less to injury. Mm-hmm. That was not the best way to treat uh, age, and it should be used as a continuous variable, recently reviewed, uh, I mean, A, the survival has increased, and B, you know, it, it doesn't transport very well. I've just uh, reviewed an interesting paper from Japan where older people are pretty robust and uh, age uh, just doesn't work for them as a dichotomous variable, and so we really need to change Tris. It's been out for a while. The most, It's funny, the, the most quoted article, second most quoted article in the Journal of Trauma, uh, for the past uh, 30 odd years is Carl Boyd's version of Tris, where he took the information in the World Journal of Surgery, uh, phoned up and got the coefficients from um, um, uh, Copes who was working with us and published it in the Journal of Trauma. So it's not really the source article. And Bill Sacco and myself, who actually developed Tris, are not on that article. Um, Carl never pretended that he had produced any of the science behind it, but it is uh, a very frequently quoted article. So can I then use Tris today
0: to decide this guy should have died, this guy should not have died, is this death acceptable?
1: Uh, Well, uh, really you shouldn't uh because the here we've got we've got deficiencies with the coding systems AIS which we we know we've got deficiencies with the model ISS <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we've got deficiencies here with the coefficients as well because the coefficients were produced on data from the 80s now if you're going to use that as your benchmark well more power to you. But really, the coefficients at least should be updated on contemporary data sets. And there's no reason why that should not be done. I mean, there's big enough data sets now Uh, We used MTOS data, that was the sort of guiding pathway for the National Trauma Data Bank and somebody should just recompute the uh, coefficients if people want to use TRIS. I'd like to see TRIS abandoned. Uh, I'd like to, the the Germans have uh, looked at max AIS but they've also taken AIS for blunt trauma and redacted it uh, from the 2,000 odd codes to about 380 odd codes. And that makes for much more sense Um, because we don't need to have all the levels of injury that we've got described. We've just done a a study uh, motivated by looking at combat injuries, and we looked at the National Trauma Data Bank and and, uh, three combat trauma registries and found that the majority, and by majority I mean 60 to 80% of the AIS codes were not used at all. Or not, or use less than ten times in in uh, all of these registries. So now we've got two thousand codes. You've got to basically get a course and a certification to code, and uh, and most of the codes are not used.
0: Yeah, and uh, so I fully agree with you, and that then obviously offers up an opportunity for uh, research to try to update the outcomes uh, scoring system. So one can actually try to benchmark. Uh, whether or not a particular outcome, particularly mortality, uh, was uh, expected or not expected.
1: Yeah, we've uh, you know we've been researching this for about forty years now, so it's it's a very fertile field, and um, anybody who wants to continue to research will find they've got a life lifelong uh, endeavor here.
0: Mm. <laughs> um, and what about disability outcomes? Um, scoring models for disability outcomes are are plentiful. There's SF thirty six. There's the GOS. There's the FIM score. Um, Any thoughts on one scoring system versus the other?
1: The advantages um, of of many of them uh, are that they've been used on wide populations. Um, We, uh, the AIS team, um, embarked upon a a disability scoring generation endeavor, and it took about 10 years to come up with a a, a disability scale, which was to be measured a year after injury. Uh, i think uh, s- uh, and th- that's complex it's about 15 bodily functions and six grades in each one sort of thing so mm. it's i think it's much better to go with the widely used uh, uh ones uh such as um uh sf uh, 36 uh i think um that FIM is simple and easy to redact. Glasgow outcome scale is operationally not well defined, um, but is fairly frequently used. So I, I believe the same criteria of tight operational definitions and validation uh, must apply to all of these, and that's why the big the big database-related ones, such as SF36, um, are quite appealing. Uh, the other thing is when you measure the disability, because... Uh, you know, measuring it a year post-injury is good for epidemiological and outcome studies. But having just been through a very intensive exercise with the military to develop combat injury scales, including functional capacity, the criteria that they wanted uh, was immediate levels of incapacity. Um, They want to know whether an injured individual is able to function in the mission, that is ongoing at that time. So when we created the Military Combat Injury Scale and the Military Functional Incapacity Scale, we did immediate post-injury functional capability to move, shoot, and communicate, which are the three basic criteria that uh, that indicates to the small unit commander when that, whether that individual can continue to function in the mission and what degree of urgency there is. And what we've done with that is integrate it into the combat injury scale. So grades one and two are the relevant uh, anatomic injuries that map into functional incapacity, immediate functional incapacity, and determine whether the individual can uh, sustain, be, uh, sustain the fight if they're on a mission. You
0: commented earlier that one of the uh, bases for the scoring systems that you originally described was ICD-8. Now, currently, we are in ICD-9 and are about to go to ICD-10. Some people have already done so. How do all of these various scoring systems that are so reliant on ICD coding change, and how do we compare um outcomes or even models of severity of illness or injury as we change the very basis of the definition from ICD-8 to 9 to 10?
1: Well that's a good question because it, uh, you know it's very important uh, to have access to some of these legacy databases um, uh, so that we can compare change over time, for instance. Um, and there's been huge changes. ICD 8 was quite simple. I worked on ICD 9 with uh, Brian Jeanette and Sue Baker, and uh, we added some head injury criteria in there. ICD 10 was was developed years ago. Uh, it was going to be fast tracked through um, the Department of Health about 1999. Um, it is used in ter- it, it is used worldwide, but not much in the United States in terms of the actual Coding, administrative coding, ICD eleven is uh, drafted and is going to be published this year. So, uh, a these are administrative databases. B they are uh, generally speaking ordinal. C the uh, number of codes in ICD ten is humongous. I mean, it's it's it's. it's ICD-9 on steroids. Um, and the ICD-11 is just a, a bit of a tweak. Um, so uh, I don't think that they're a very good basis for scoring, because they're not related to injury severity. Now, we have developed mapping between all of the uh, devices. When I say we, I mean Mimi Lornick, who works for me and is the guru of uh, Injury scoring in my group, and she's mapped eight to nine to ten uh, to the military to uh, an AIS to ICD and all of these things. Uh, and ICD, you know, AIS has the same problem because we've revised that about um, eight times since it was created in the 70s, and, that, and that's wherein it grew from 78 to over 2,000 codes. So there's a great maze of mappings out there. But every time you map from one code to another, you carry the baggage with you. So uh, I think ICD system in general needs to be abandoned as a ter- as a- in terms of um, uh, severity scoring because it's not, it wasn't created for that purpose. It was created for an administrative database. So if that's the case then, it
0: really calls into question the ability to do a retrospective study uh, where one is pulling out administrative codes to reflect Particular injuries.
1: Yeah, you just got to know that your data is frail. It is not robust. <laughs> yeah. You're carrying a lot of baggage with it, and to hold it up as a yes, we have controlled for uh, severity and case mix and so forth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good to identify. You know, I, I find those codes are useful to um, to uh, uh, identify batches of patients that are relatively homogeneous. But when you've got a large Uh, non-homogeneous, heterogeneous data set, um, uh, which, uh, and you're comparing two data sets, uh, using ICDs uh, as a basis for doing that, or uh, using it for severity analysis, is really uh, on very frail scientific foundation.
0: And so in the last part of our talk, let's actually uh, discuss creation of an actual um, scoring system or a predictive mathematical model. in order to design a model or even interpret its use, uh, it's important for the clinician to know the model's discrimination and calibration. Those are two terms in your review paper. Uh, can you just go over what those terms mean and how do I, the reader, understand them?
1: Right. Well, I, I think it's very important to have an understanding of these. And these terms really apply uh, uh, to – they are terms that were, the Rand Corporation put out in the early 90s to, uh, for the purpose of a statistically assessing, by bio- biological models against uh, biological data, mm. and discrimination. There are many measures of discrimination. You know, sensitivity, specificity. Um, uh, Positive, you know, negative and positive um, uh, uh, calibrations of various natures. There's a a whole stack of them. But the one that's most commonly used is the area of the receiver operating curve, Mm OROC. And that, uh, you know, gives you a measure of discrimination um, and uh, uh, it should be generally uh, used. Now, discrimination is important for all. Severity scoring. It's important for binning patients, you know, sick, non sick, for triage. Uh, but it's also uh, important because you're, uh, if you're using your dependent variable, uh, if you're using mortality as your dependent variable, then uh, you need to know whether it's actually discriminating between those that live and die. But remember that what you're doing here is probabilistic, not deterministic. <coughs> What you're doing in essence is uh, bidding a patient in 0 or 1. And when you've got a batch of patients or your probability of survival is 0. 0.45, you're just taking a guess that'll be either 0 or 1. Um, and that has got the closer you get to 50%, the more, m- more likely you're going to be wrong. Um, so there's uh, an inherent... Um, uh, problem with a sort of middle range uh, probabilities of death. And that's why you can't use these things with any degree of certitude for individual patients. They, they gain traction when you've got a large database. <coughs> Calibration um, is um, even more important when you're, when you're looking at uh, comparing data sets and large data sets. And uh, the, the two scores that are out there, the, the two measures that are out there are hosmer Show which there's various ways of doing that, but it's mm. the simplest way is just looking at deciles of probabilities and doing it's a chi squared within the decile. So you you're taking zero to ten percent risk, ten to twenty percent risk all the way up and looking at the <coughs> chi squared um, against the outcome mortality or whatever outcome you're choosing within those and then coming up with a single number. <coughs> the um, Hosmer Hosma Lemon show is is uh, is um, is n specific so you've got large n's it sort of overwhelms the statistic and we've actually communicated with uh with them uh the the originators of this scoring system and um and it sort of loses its um not validity but its power as a measure maybe not that's not right it just it's it's not quite as useful when you've got large ends and a lot of people now are using the akaki uh uh um uh score uh because of that uh, because we're we're using bigger and bigger databases Uh, (coughs) iss was first validated on less than a thousand patients from birmingham in the mid-60s and then the next validation study was done on a thousand patients in this country in the 70s and it hasn't been validated uh, on any uh ends and we've got you know databases now of millions of patients and so the the whole world has changed in terms of validation databases so but nevertheless if you if you are looking to validate Um, in the correct terminology uh, uh, a model uh, against (coughs) uh, and and uh, its usefulness in in prediction for comparing databases you should be presenting these two sets of statistics, discrimination power and calibration, which is the uh, value of it across the levels of severity. Is it is it good at one end, is it good at the other end? And, and, the, and they are measures of, of, of those two elements.
0: <clears throat> okay. Um, and so, how does one go about even developing a scoring system that's likely to gain widespread use? There's a number of scoring systems out there. There seems like there's a scoring system every couple months. Um, and yet the vast majority are never used?
1: Right. That's a good question because, you know, there's been some very good work done. Turner Rosler has done some fantastic um, work with, you know, sophisticated statistics. Um, There are some... um, And, uh, you know, the Germans have done some very good stuff. um, uh, And, you know, as I say, we've put years of work into a combat injury scale now, but getting them adopted... um, is is the challenge, and so we you really need to get the institutions behind the, the science, and the trouble is that when you move from the individual researchers who know what they're doing to the institutions, there's a sort of information gap, so you've got people in the institutions who are less sophisticated and can be sold on substandard science, um, <clears throat> and the people who really know what they're doing in this very arcane world um have not developed the marketing power to get it out there like we did at the Woodstock conference in the late 70s so i think the the leading institutions need to get together but they need to be led by somebody who is a, a, a scoring system agnostic uh and um who's got a valid scient you know who's a really uh, schooled and knowledgeable in the science, uh, with those prerequisites, some institutions should take leadership in this, and it's got to be global. Um, it's not just the U.S. because you know all these systems are used in the U.K., they're used in sub-Saharan Africa, they're used in Australasia, they're used in uh, the Far East, and so doing something in the U.S. that doesn't have buy-in. From the Japanese or the New Zealanders is is uh, not going to work either. We need a uh, a global institution to adopt uh, a uh, a new standard for for this, and it's got to be robust, simple, scientifically valid, transportable from one area to another, and adaptable. The coefficients need to be tweakable uh, based on the epidemiology of injury in a given country and the healthcare system that is used to address it.
0: And so uh, on a final note, what are your recommendations for a trauma fellow or maybe a junior trauma attending recruit to learn about these various types of scoring systems and how should that person apply these scores to his or her practice?
1: Well, uh, you you know, given the fact that there's so many deficiencies in what we have out there, I think it's important to know the limitations of what you're doing. That's probably the most important thing. There are, uh, you know, the 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 scores that are used most frequently are ISS and um, uh, AIS, um, uh, and they're used in a variety of fashion, so I just think they need to understand what's out there, why it's out there, why we need anatomy and physiology, because, you know, you can die of a ruptured spleen four hours later, and you can... Uh, so the time factor is important. And just understand the limitations. There's a few review articles out there that seem to address this sort of thing. Yeah, and, uh, and
0: I would actually tell the listeners, I, th- I thought your review article was quite good uh, for anybody who just wants to understand these scoring systems, where they came from. And, and the article also discusses the downside uh, or the shortcomings of each particular system. So uh, yeah, for a quick review article, that is a good article to, to just simply read.
1: But it's a very arcane world. And it's sort of fraught with pitfalls. And, and uh, uh, you know, people like Turner Osler have really got their brain around some of the more advanced ways of modeling. Um, and, uh, but, you know, for the average person uh, with a life uh, <laughs> in trauma, you don't want to <laughs> sort of necessarily go down those pathways that we've sort of indulged ourselves in over the years. I think the important thing is to recognize that, that they are not... Uh, that they are falsely held up as, uh, as um, uh, controlling for case mix. ISS is just awful for that in general terms. Um, uh, and whenever people put it up and say ISSs are the same, you know, particularly in penetrating injury, you've just got to put a big question mark in your brain every time that is said.
0: And, and that's an excellent point. Um, well, I've certainly appreciated the time you spent with us uh, in discussing the scoring systems. Uh, We've been speaking today with Dr. Howard Champion regarding trauma scoring systems. Uh, I'd like to again thank you for taking the time to review this topic with us, as I'm sure it will help many trauma fellows and uh, junior faculty in determining how these scores are calculated, their shortcomings, and how to compare them when uh, comparing injury. This concludes another edition of the EAST TraumaCast. For copyright information and disclaimers, please visit us at east.org. For the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma, I'm Dr. Bob Axarani.